Our scripture reading this morning is from Matthew chapter 6, verses 5 through 6. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Well, it is good to be standing here. I'm personally having a great moment, uh, and that is because I love my church and I love to preach, and uh, so I'm I'm glad to be able to uh, unfold today's message a little bit, which is on prayer. Uh, It's also on uh, any spiritual discipline that we practice uh, that is observable by other people. It is also a passage that is about things that are mysterious, kind of mind of God stuff that we are called to interact with uh, but have a lot of questions about. And and so I'm excited about uh, unpacking this. As we do, let me start this way and say, by way of introduction, one day it will dawn on me, one day, that I pay a lot for cable TV just to toggle back and forth between two channels. Until that day comes, though, I will continue to give most of my TV time to HGTV and the History Channel. Anybody else like that? Food Network's in there too, probably, but those those three kind of get, get the bulk of my attention. There's this show on the History Channel called American Pickers. Have you seen this show? The idea of American Pickers is there's these two guys named Mike and Frank, and they drive around the country looking for people's properties on the side of the road that have outbuildings that might be full of antiques that are just kind of, uh, you know, rotting away in there, and they'll pull up to the house, and they'll knock on the door, and they'll say, hey, we've got this list of things that we, we buy. Would you, do you have any of these things, and would you be interested in selling them? And, and so we, we go around with them on the TV as they, as they, you know, find all these things like old gas pumps and antiques and motorcycle parts and that sort of thing. And then they, they, they buy them on the spot, and then they take them back to sell them in their shop. One of their shops is actually in Marathon Village here in Nashville, Antique Archaeology over there, if you've ever been. Well, every so often, they find an old part to something, a gear, a pitted out gas tank for an old Indian motorcycle, something like that, and they'll buy it knowing that it'll never really work again, but there are people who will buy it just just to have it on display, just to hang on a wall or put on a shelf. They call it rusty gold. And sometimes they find rusty gold from a bygone era, and they they don't know really what it is that they're looking at. They know that it belongs to a motorcycle of some kind or or something, but but they're not exactly sure what it is, but they'll buy it anyway because they know kind of what it belongs to, and they know that there are people who like to collect things that just belong to that that little world. And so, so they don't know what they've actually got, but they know it looks good. Prayer can be that way. Prayer can be that way. We're not always sure what it does. We're not always sure how to use it. We're not sure if it works, but it can look good on display. Today's text, Jesus talks about that. 
And he leads us into the subject of prayer. In fact, today's text introduces the subject of prayer. The verses that come right after this are where Jesus gives us the the Lord's Prayer, where he teaches us this most famous prayer, this prayer where the second person of the blessed Trinity in the flesh tells us, when you pray, do it like this, which is kind of awesome, isn't it? Here, though, in these two verses, he gives us some ground rules first. I think, personally, that prayer is a mysterious thing. Don't you? I've been a praying person most of my life, but I have to confess that I don't get all that there is to get about prayer. James Boyce um, wrote this. He said, prayer is an important subject for prayer is at least partially confusing to us all. So if you're sitting here thinking, yeah, I have some questions about prayer, talking to God, uh, we all do. We all do. And it makes sense that we would because think about what prayer is. Prayer is our sovereign God, the maker of everything, who knows everything, who holds the future, he tells us, ask me for things. He tells us, pray over things. How our prayer impacts his will, untangle that in your head sometime. Let me know how that goes. Because because what it is, 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 is in order for us to understand the mystery of what's happening it seems that we have to recognize that, that the way prayer works happens outside the boundaries of time and space. The eternal all-knowing God asks us to ask Him, tells us to ask Him for things, and He says that He hears and that He works through our prayers. I, I don't know exactly how all of that works. He tells us that it does. But today's passage does give us remarkable clarity about one thing that is vital, and it is this. God hears our prayers. God hears our prayers, and because He does, we should pray, and we should never fake it. God hears our prayers, and because He does, we should pray, and we should never fake it. So we're going to take this passage one verse at a time, kind of two halves to this sermon. The first half, we're going to take up empty piety, which is what verse 5 is about. And then the second half, we're going to look at genuine prayer. And then the third half, the bonus half, is we're going to bring it home by talking about, okay, what's at stake here? What's on the line? Why is Jesus telling us this? Is it just that God likes things a certain way, these are the rules, do it by the rules? Or is there something deeper that he's fighting for in us? And so to do that, I want to take a moment and just open us with with prayer here. Father, as we get into your word, I stand in a precarious place where I am talking about insincere, hypocritical prayer, and I am praying as I do it. And Father, I confess that there's a part of me that prays for the sake of the affection and the applause of people. Uh, I also confess that that part of me that does that is probably far greater than I recognize. So, Lord, I ask that you would give us humility as we discuss this subject. I pray that you would help us to avoid 
merely trying to figure out if we're one of the hypocrites or one of the sincere ones, but that we would understand that all of us bring a measure of hypocrisy to everything that we do uh, in our relationship with you. Um, let, just loosen our grip on the need to be right and give us ears to hear you and eyes to see you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Empty piety. Verse 5 is about empty piety. Verse 5 is a verse in Scripture about prayer that has nothing to do with God. Whenever you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. I assure you, Jesus says, they've got their reward. These verses come right on the heels of another example of empty piety concerning giving. The verses right before this that we read last week are where Jesus tells us not to give in order to impress people. Don't let the right hand know what the left hand is doing. Then later, he does the same thing with fasting and empty piety. The issue that Jesus is raising in this part of the Sermon on the Mount is he's getting to the question of motive. Why do we do what we do? Why do you do what you do? What are the things that you do for real? What are the things that you do for show? And why? So much of the Christian ethic boils down to answering the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Jesus says, He's talking about hypocrites. We talked about this last week that we use the word hypocrite now as purely a pejorative term, right? If you call somebody a hypocrite, it's an insult. Uh, in Jesus' time, it was, it was a word that carried a couple of meanings. One was it's, it's a description of a play actor. So a hypocrite is a pretender. Um, but it wasn't always purely a bad connotation. It was, yeah, I'm a hypocrite. I do that for a living. I'm an actor. Well, Jesus is saying he applies that to spirituality, and it's never good to be a spiritual play actor. It just never works. It's never good. And the reason it doesn't work is because God is real. That's why it doesn't work. God is real. So Jesus says hypocrites, they, they love to pray in ways that impress people. It's why they do it. They love to put on a show. But when hypocrites pray, they don't love prayer. They don't love God. They love themselves. And they really want to provide others with the opportunity to do so as well. And so that's why they're doing what they're doing. As I was studying this passage, I came across a quote from James Montgomery Boyce, who was a pastor in Philadelphia. He's passed away since, but he was a pastor at uh, 10th Pres in Philadelphia. And I came across a statement that he made that's been bugging me ever since I read it because they convict me. One of the tricks preachers do sometimes is we quote other people when we want to say something really hard, but we don't really want it to be coming directly from us. So how about I read to you a quote from James Boyce? Would that be okay? Here's what he says. I believe that not but one prayer in a hundred of those who fill our churches on Sunday morning is actually made to Almighty God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They are made to men or to the praying one himself. 
the reason that quote has bothered me is because I can't get out from under his indictment. If I'm being completely honest with you, everything I do spiritually, there's a measure of duplicity in it. Jesus is fighting for me in this passage. He's fighting for you too. He's fighting for us. He's saying, no, 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 don't. Don't do that. Jesus is saying, don't pray for show. He's not banning public prayer completely. In fact, there are times when it's very appropriate to pray publicly, to be seen praying. We know that he's not banning public prayer because Jesus himself did it. Uh, He prayed publicly for the sake of others listening. In John 11, when he raises Lazarus from the dead, if you're familiar with that story, right before he calls Lazarus out of the grave, he prays a prayer, and part of that prayer is, Lord, I say these things out loud so those gathered around will hear me talking to you so they will know that you sent me. Right? He's completely praying for the benefit of those listening. And then there's John 17 as well, which is Jesus' high priestly prayer. The fact that it exists in the pages of Scripture mean that it was a a prayer Jesus did not pray completely in private because we have it still, right? The apostles also in the book of Acts prayed publicly at times. It's, It's rarely the act. That's the point. It's rarely the act in Scripture. It's always the motive. Why do we do what we do? In Jesus' time... Jewish men would stop and pray three times every day in the morning, in the afternoon, and at night. And there would be a prayer call that would go out, the blast of a horn, it would go out, and people would stop what they were doing and they would pray. And there would be times when certain people would time themselves to be in a very public location when that afternoon trumpet blasts so that they could drop to their knees and put on a show and impress people with the way that they were praying, to impress people with their piety. To make people look at them and say, that guy must be really close to God. And Jesus says in this passage, if that's your goal, that may be all your prayer ever gets you. It may be that your prayers function to trick people into thinking you have a relationship with God that you don't have. And that's your reward Public prayer is a good thing when it's sincere. Even its influence on others who witness it can be a a good thing, so long as it's not the main thing for the person praying. Public prayer can be a sign of humility, especially when there are no guarantees like in our time, when being seen praying in public will be received well by others. There's this Norman Rockwell painting I want to show you here. This, this is from 1951. It's called Saying Grace. It was on the cover of the Saturday Evening Post, November 24th, 1951, and it depicts a Mennonite grandmother and her grandson praying over their meal at a train depot as fellow travelers are looking on. This scene actually, Rockwell witnessed this scene. This happened when he was in a train station. He saw this this scene and and recounted it because it moved him. He was not a church-going person, Norman Rockwell. But when he saw the scene at the train depot, he wrote in his memoir about the reaction that people around this grandmother and grandson had. And he wrote this. He said, the people around them were staring, some surprised, some puzzled, some remembering their own lost childhood, but all respectful. See, public prayer can reflect devotion 
It can reflect courage. It can reflect worship. But for the person praying, it should never be an illusion. It should never be fake. It should never be an illusion. Motive is everything. Praying to impress is not an act of worship at all. It's an act of the ego. And so Jesus' sober warning in this verse is this. Hear it. He says, if what you really want when you pray is applause, be warned that you might just get it. And then that will be the end of it. This teaching applies to every display of piety, every spiritual discipline that is observable by other people. Jesus brings it up with generosity, with fasting. We need to ask ourselves, is the substance of my religious practice just an attempt to get things, to get things from other people, like their trust, their money, their admiration, their favor, opportunity that I wouldn't have had otherwise if they didn't think I was so right? Do I pretend to have my mind set on eternal things in order to just gain temporal fading honor? What are some ways we do this? Well, here are some. You can add to the list on your own, but some ways that we inflate the appearance of our piety. We can lie about our spiritual vitality, misrepresent the quality of our relationship with God, because I've been a Christian X number of years, by now I should have this vibrant spiritual life. You know, part of my role here at Christ Pres is I'm pastor for seekers, and one of the things that I want to be able to do is to say there is no statute of limitations on big questions about God. You should never reach a point in your life where you say, uh, it's too late for me to ask this question about God, because things happen in our lives that sometimes raise the questions that we've never thought to ask before. And for me, I welcome that because Christianity has not folded under the weight of the doubts of people. So we should ask our questions. Other ways we inflate the appearance of our piety is with our generosity. Some even inflate their appearance of piety by lying about their church attendance misrepresenting how often they go. Now, I want to ask the question, why would, you, why would anybody do that? Why would anybody misrepresent how often they go to church when God Himself is the audience of what we're doing here? What possible advantage could there be? Jesus is fighting for us to believe something. And what He's fighting for us to believe is that God sees us. God sees us. The maker of heaven and earth sees us. The one who invented the rhinoceros sees us. And not only does he see us, he hears us. Perverse piety attempts to gain advantage or respect or reputation for spiritual vitality while also, ironically, trying to keep God out of the situation entirely. So I act like I'm worshiping, but I never think about God. If you were to look at me, it would look like I'm worshiping, but I haven't thought about God all morning. 
I boast in my generosity, but I've never felt any empathy for the people I'm helping. I show up to be seen, but I never really anticipate, oh, God is in this room. John Stott describes this as a religious self-service, or if you prefer, self-pleasure. He says, religion and charity become an exhibitionist display. How can we pretend to be praising God when in reality we are concerned that men will praise us? Dan Doriani said, we do not pray to display our skill to many, but to reach an audience of one. And more importantly, he said, we do not imagine that we can extract blessing from a reluctant deity. We trust that the Father knows what we need before we ask. And so this leads us into the second part of this text, the amazing promise that we're given by Jesus himself about genuine prayer. The reason why we would never need to fake it. If verse 5 is about prayer that has nothing to do with God, verse 6 is about prayer that has everything to do with God. He says this, when you pray, go into your room, shut your door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Think about what he's saying here. He's saying when you pray, minimize distraction and disturbance. Why? Because God is listening. Now, we're in a strange territory right now in a church, and the reason we are in this sermon, in this moment of our sermon, is because I'm speaking Bible speak to you in a context where we speak Bible speak, and I tell you things, and I just said something, I said, God hears us when we pray. And we nod and we say, yeah, I know God hears us. No, no, no. The, the one who spoke the cosmos into being, the one who separated the water from the land, the inventor of the giraffe, the one who created such a thing as love, hears you. That's what I'm trying to say. That's what Jesus is saying to us. This is the God who hears us. If I showed you that door and I said, God is in a chair on the other side of that door and He wants to talk to you. He wants you to come in and talk to Him. He wants you to tell Him, what are you struggling with? Discuss your burdens. Ask for help. Seek His counsel. Try to get to know Him better. Would any of us go into that room and multitask? The reason we wouldn't is because we would be immovably convinced in that moment that He is actually real. And what Jesus is fighting for with us and prayer is pray as though God is real. And that it's not just a charade, that we're not just pretending He's real. When we pray, He hears us. So pray to Him, Jesus says, in the secret place. What does that mean? It doesn't mean like a clandestine off-the-grid place. It means an intimate place. It's not so much a safe house as it is a bedroom, right? That there's this place that's intimate, that's private, that's focused. He calls us to focus on Him. He promises to be focused on us. Prayer takes place between us and that God. He is there. Jesus says He is waiting. He is listening. He is present. 
and he knows our motives. He reads them, sees right through them. But the key action in prayer is to seek the face of God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 27, verse 8, You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, O Lord, do I seek. This is the transaction of prayer. It's seeking the face of a God who is real and doing it humbly, reverently, regularly, sincerely, confidently. This is glorious. Jesus tells us God's not agitated by our prayers. It's an affectionate meeting. He meets us as we come to him with our spirits calling out, as Paul writes in Romans 8, 16, Abba, Father. He welcomes us in as his children. What does it mean to be welcomed into the presence of God as his children? Tim Keller wrote this. He said, the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is a child. And we have that same access to God. Jesus is fighting for our hearts, not just to pray right, but to believe that the Father is real. Because if we believe that the Father is real, we won't fake it. We won't say, you know, the only real benefit I can get out of this is to impress other people. Why would He want to purify our motives for prayer and to call us to pray out of a genuine love for God instead of self-love? This brings me to our conclusion the third half. What is Jesus fighting for? What's at stake? Why is Jesus saying this? Because the law of the Lord is a love story. Anytime God gives His people a command, it's not just because God is finicky and likes things a certain way. It's because we're learning how to relate to Him as He is and as we were meant to relate to Him. So the point of Jesus' words here is not stop putting on a show your heavenly Father doesn't like it, you big faker. There's something more, something more going on with his words. Because remember, the Sermon on the Mount is contrasting two kingdoms here, right? Jesus is teaching us how to live now as a citizen of another kingdom that is eternal. That tells us that these verses are not simply about our posture in prayer and how it looks, but they're about how we talk to a God who actually hears us and is real. So God doesn't give us a command because he's particular and easily upset, he does it so that we might know how to love Him and so that we might interact with His love for us. This command is not about how to keep ourselves from upsetting a cranky God. It's about how to draw near to a loving God. Prayer is a glorious concept because it means that we, the meek and the lowly, those who struggle, those who fight, those who are fragile and sinful and broken, address the King of Heaven and He listens and he interacts, and he hears us. And so Jesus says, when you pray, don't pretend. Don't waste the moment by making it all about how others see you, because that is a road to hell. You will exhaust yourself, because you will never run out of ways to come up with to think that you might be able to impress other people. You won't, because one, you'll never impress everybody all the way perfectly, but you'll never run out of ways to try. What happens when we try to use our emotional expression to obtain things from others? When we give our emotional bandwidth to impressing people. Here's what happens. We end up losing the ability to emote genuinely. 
We've got everything so controlled, so locked down. We're trying to make sure that we're emoting just right at the right time in the right way for the right reason that it costs us the ability to know, to know how to honestly emote in a situation. We lose the capacity for great joy. We lose the capacity for deep sorrow because we're so busy trying to just contain the emotional posture so that people will look at us and say, he looks right. And we rob ourselves of real joy, real wonder, real sorrow. We lose the practice of celebration. When was the last time you celebrated something with somebody? Not just showed up to the party, but like, I love that this is happening for you. We lose the practice of celebration because our expressions of joy become measured and calculated. We resist the cleansing need to grieve because we've banned ourselves from feeling deep sorrow. We won't permit ourselves to feel awe because we have trained ourselves not to look at wonder. Likewise, we won't rest in the promised nearness of God when our prayers are offered either to impress other people or to comfort ourselves. And so do you hear the love of Jesus in his fight? I don't want you to take the glorious interaction of praying with the maker and lover of your soul and only use it for the sake of impressing other people who don't really care. This is the love of Jesus and the command to not pretend when we pray. He's not just fighting against hypocrisy. He's fighting against the slow death of our hearts. He's fighting for our joy. He's fighting for our delight. He's fighting for our learning to speak the language of glory because we are in prayer learning our native tongue our eternal tongue, the ongoing, forever, unfiltered, untarnished, unending conversation with our Maker. So Jesus is fighting for our joy. That's why we should never fake it, and it's why we should pray. Pray with me. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see your delight for your people and a command to not pray for the sake of impressing other people. Help us to learn what it means every day that you're real, <laughs> that you really are here, that you really do listen, that you really are engaged, that our prayers do mean something to you, that you hear them. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. Thankful for your mercy and grace, Lord. Thank you for this table that reminds us of the access that we have to your throne of grace. We do not have to wonder if you're distant or angry because you give us a seat at your table and tell us to keep coming, to remember the display of your love for us. And so, Lord, we ask that that would be part of our worship this morning, that we would come to this table as though you are real. And we pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.